Know Your Food with Forty, episode 124. For links and more, visit the show notes at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 124. Hey everyone, welcome to Know Your Food with Warty. I'm Warty in Southwest Oregon, a traditional food blogger at ganalfglins.com and knowyourfoodpodcast.com. I'm glad you're here. This is the podcast where we're all about ditching those poisonous processed foods, breaking free from the conventional food paradigm, and instead embracing whole foods raised, saved, and prepared with traditional methods. It's fun, it's delicious, and it's healthy. You're on your way to looking good, feeling good, and most importantly, doing good. Thanks for joining me, everyone. It is the season of gardening, isn't it? And you may find yourself with a garden that's overwhelming you. It's hot, could be humid, weeds, pests, tons of vegetables, more than you know what to do with maybe, and you're tired and you've been working hard on it. And all that excitement you felt in the spring with young plants has, pretty realistically speaking, kind of faded away. Well, what do you do when your garden has you completely overwhelmed? Jenny at the Traditional Cooking School blog has seven tips for you. I'm gonna focus on one of them, and it's number two in her list. It is to work outside when the heat is less intense, like the early morning or late evening. This is a tip that I employ all the time. Now, I can't do the late evening because by the late evening, I am just tuckered out. My brain is fried, my body is tired, so I do the morning. I'm a morning person. So what I do is usually between 6 and 7 a.m. It's just so quiet, I'm fresh, um, and I really take the time. It's a good time for me to be outside. Might have dogs or the dog or cats nearby, birds chirping. Sometimes I'll listen to a podcast, but more often than not, I won't because it's a good time to think or, you know, visit with the dog or the cats, talk back and forth, um, and just take care of things in the garden. Um, And for me, that means, like, weeding. I try to tackle it as it comes up when I'm out there and I see something. We have some issues like thistles. I try to get them when they're young, so I pull those out of the beds and around the beds when they're still little. It works a lot better than when they're big. Same thing with morning glory. There's a couple beds that have morning glory, so I pull those out when they're young. So weeding is one of those things I tackle in the morning. Um, I also will harvest for the day. So, you know, whatever we're having for our vegetables or salads that day, I'll pick in the morning. Um, My kids are a great help. So I've been able to delegate weeding and watering to them. But the things that I do, I like to do first thing in the morning because I'm fresh. I get to think. Uh, It's so quiet and um, it's cool. So it doesn't overwhelm me. I'd love to know uh, your tips for how you prevent being overwhelmed by an overwhelming garden. And you should definitely check out the other six tips that Jenny has for you. Go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash overwhelm, or there's a link waiting for you in the show notes at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 124. Speaking of overwhelm, after you hear from today's guest, you will not be overwhelmed at all by this season of food preserving. We are talking about super easy food preserving with Megan Kane, who is creativevegetablegardener.com, and she is so fun and passionate and excited 
about food preserving. And I know after you hear our visit that you're going to think, huh, this sounds really easy. I'm going to do it. And you'll especially thank Megan and thank yourself for listening in when um, your inspiration leads to you being able to pull fresh but preserved vegetables out of your freezer in January for wonderfully fresh, delicious, healthy, tasty meals. Megan is going to show you how easy it is and how fun it is and valuable it is. Uh, So that's what we're going to talk about, super easy food preserving from the creative vegetable gardener, Megan. So that's coming up in in, um, my visit with Megan. And for links and anything we've mentioned, like her book or the challenge she has coming up, a free seven-day challenge you can join in on, go to the show notes, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 124. Okay, enjoy. Hi, I'm Morty, a traditional cooking expert and food blogger at traditionalcookingschool.com. For years, my family struggled with food-related health problems like eczema and food allergies, but we don't anymore. And I'd love to show you that preparing whole foods with traditional methods is easy, delicious, and super good for you too. So just go to traditionalcookingschool.com free, and I'll show you how easily you can do it too. I'll give you five free videos that include my favorite traditional cooking techniques, plus printable at-a-glance fact sheets as a handy reference. So if you're ready to start looking good, feeling good, and most importantly, doing good, then visit traditionalcookingschool.com slash free today. Hey everyone, this is Wardy, and I'm here with Megan Kane, the creative vegetable gardener. Hi, Megan. Hi, Wardy. Thanks for having me. Oh, this is going to be so fun. I love your name, Creative Vegetable Gardener. I'm going to ask you about that in a bit, but I just love what you're doing. So let's start out with you telling us about um, you and your family, where you live, and just about your life in general. Sure. I live with my husband in Madison, Wisconsin. I originally grew up on the East Coast in a really urban area. I grew up in a row home in Philadelphia, and so I always like to tell people that I didn't know anybody that had a garden or a farm. Um, I think a lot of people assume because I'm a garden educator that I grew up on a farm and I've been gardening my whole life, but I actually didn't do any gardening until I turned right about about when I was 26. Um, And so I didn't know any, growing up I didn't know anyone, most of the people I knew didn't even have a yard because I lived in such an urban area, Um, but I didn't know anyone that had a vegetable garden. My family, we actually didn't eat that many vegetables, Uh, so I don't think I ever thought about how a vegetable was grown or what it really looked like on the plant or in the ground. So, So those were some of the things that kind of blew my mind when I first started gardening. I thought, I never really thought about how an eggplant grows, you know, Mm -hmm. you just see it in the grocery store, but you don't even think about what the plant Mm -hmm. might look like. So, uh, so it's really just more recently that I started gardening. And now I live in a city, but Madison's much smaller than Philadelphia. We do live in the city. So we have an urban lot. um, But Madison's a little bit more spread out than uh, Philadelphia. So we have a nice big yard, we just bought a house. Another, we had a house and we sold it. We bought another house, uh, a new house last summer, and we looked for, we wanted to be in a great walkable neighborhood with um, easy biking, easy walking to different amenities like library and cafe and hardware mm-hmm. store, but we also wanted a really big yard. So after looking for several months, we ended up finding exactly that. So I have a big front yard garden and I have a corner lot, and so my, my garden's highly visible, um, and often on my blog, I 
do a little garden tour. So if anybody's interested, they can check it out. But I have a big front yard garden and then the rest of my garden's on the side of my house. So lots of traffic, lots of dog walkers and bikers and, and neighborhood folks always stop by to ask me questions and comment on the garden. That sounds really wonderful. And I noticed on your blog that you take a month off every year to travel and go somewhere. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, usually my husband is an arborist, so he has a somewhat seasonal job as well, and he owns his own business. But this is actually something we started uh, almost as soon as we moved to Madison about 12 years ago because we both had seasonal jobs. He's been an arborist for the whole time we've lived here, and I've worked in different gardening and farming jobs. Madison's really cold in the winter, (laughs) and so those things slow down quite a bit. Uh, Gardening pretty much stops. And so, yeah, we started to take a month off. Um, in the early days, we negotiated with our employers to have a month off, usually unpaid. Uh, and we've traveled to lots of different places. We've spent a lot of time in Central America. Uh, one year, usually we go together, but we've had a couple of years due to jobs or other commitments that one of us went and one of us stayed home. Mm. So one year, my, my husband went to Hawaii to visit some friends by himself. One year, I went to Africa to volunteer with a, a fair trade organization by myself. Um, but we've gone to, we went to Chile uh, two years ago, and then actually this December and January, we're going to New Zealand, which we're really excited about. Fantastic. I noticed, you didn't mention it, but it's on your blog, your second favorite city is Portland, Oregon, which is just <laughs> a little bit up the road from me. However, <laughs> I do love Portland. Not- we have... We have a lot of friends there, so we okay. visit there a lot. But January's not a great month in Portland. It's not, although it's much better than Wisconsin. Madison. So we have been there in January, and our friends always say, why do you come this time of year? And then, and actually some of our friends are from the Midwest, and we say, you guys forget what it's like in Madison. In January, everything's frozen. We often have sub-zero degree True. weather and so so stepping off the plane in Portland it's green it's it's rainy uh, there's moisture in the air there's smells so it actually is we always love it <laughs> well let's get into your gardening now you're known as the creative vegetable gardener your site is creative or is it the creative vegetable gardener um, no, no creative, the just creative vegetable gardener.com okay. creative vegetable gardener.com the thing that stands out to me the most is creative, (laughs) which I think is a great uh, adjective to throw in there. So I'd like to know, and I bet our listeners want to know, what does does creative mean to you in terms of why you named uh, your site and your, you know, your passion that, and how did it come about? Just give us some insight into why you chose creative. Sure. Well, I think one of the biggest reasons is I love to have a beautiful and productive vegetable garden. So both of those things are very important to me. And I think vegetable gardens kind of get a bad rap that people think that they're ugly. I think a lot of people shove their vegetable garden in the back corner of their yard, far away from the rest of their landscaping. But for me, my vegetable garden actually is front and center, usually, Mm -hmm. of my home landscape. So we also plant trees and plants, or trees and shrubs and perennial flowers and 
and all those things, but it's all in conjunction with the vegetable garden. So I spend a lot of time on the aesthetics. I like to play around with the aesthetics of the vegetable garden, combining different plants. You know, I think it can be a lot like perennial gardening where you're combining different colors and textures and leaf shapes mm-hmm. um, to really bring out the, the, the aesthetic beauty of vegetables and their plants. I actually think vegetable gardens are really, can be really, really beautiful just in and of themselves. Um, but I also plant flowers in my vegetable garden. Um, so that's one of the reasons why I I named my business that. So I was when I decided to start a business, I of course sat down like many business owners and said and thought, okay, what am I gonna name my business? And I still actually have a piece of paper. I wrote down every single word I could think of that had to do with gardening. And then also some other words, I guess, that I thought had to do with me. Uh, and creative was certainly one of them because I do have a, a creative streak in things outside of gardening. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I kind of put them together and I thought, that sounds, I like the, I like hmm. the ring to that. <laughs> it's almost surprising that uh, it wasn't taken already as a URL. Yeah, I know. I, I was surprised because that was, of course, the next step, as you probably know, um, that then you kind of wait, you have to kind of see, is it available, available. As, you're, as you're brainstorming different names? Yeah, yeah. So tell us, I love that. Um, I love that you put your garden front and center and you want it to be beautiful. Uh, gardening is a challenge. I mean, we have such an issue with weeds. Um, mm. Sometimes it's a losing battle and it's overwhelming. Um, but even so, there's beauty. And I love to plant flowers in our garden too. And it's very functional too because then you're attracting all That's the pollinators true. and things. And Oh, I just love, I just love it. So tell <laughs> us... Um, you got into it though when you were 26, late in life. So, right. what was it? What was the influence? Was it your husband being an arborist? Which, you know, I, I don't know. Tell tell me, was it a health crisis? Uh, well, it. I actually got into gardening right before. Well, r- right as we were meeting, actually, um, I was living in San Francisco at that time, another really big city. I was in the city in a really urban environment, and I just started to become weary of living in a large urban environment. I felt really cut off from nature and I was having these thoughts, those kinds of thoughts along that line. And I, it was actually very perplexing to me. I didn't know really where those thoughts were coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the same time, my life in San Francisco, nothing was working out. I broke up with my boyfriend and lost or couldn't find a job and didn't like my roommates. And I thought, you know, maybe I'm just not meant to stay here. Uh, And then at at that same time, I think probably because it was the beginning of some of the food movement, certainly in California, there was already farmer's markets. I started to visit the farmer's market. I really didn't know how to cook. Um, I I didn't really know that much about vegetables, but I started to explore that a little bit. I applied for a community garden plot. I was on a waiting list, so I never actually got one before I left. Hmm. Uh, And so... And then at that time, I was also interested in intentional communities. So there's a lot of, a lot of communities really around the whole world. Sometimes they're communes, which are income sharing. Sometimes they're co-housing. Um, but I was interested in a very particular subset, which are eco-villages that have an ecological, a lot of ecological principles that they follow. 
And so kind of these two, two interests at that time, I realized that I could go to an eco village and be a garden intern. And so I thought that would be great. I could, I could kind of explore two interesting topics at the same time. And so I ended up uh, applying and getting accepted as an intern at, at an eco village in rural Missouri. So I moved from downtown or, you know, pretty much downtown San Huge Francisco change. to rural Missouri. Wow. And then what what happened after that? Yeah, so I was a garden intern there. There was actually had one main vegetable farmer. There was a everybody ate together at that time. The community is very different now, much bigger, but it was pretty small just in its beginnings. And so everybody ate together. And so there was one one main farmer who grew most of the food. So I worked with him mm-hmm. um, for a season, and then I, that's actually where I met my husband. He went as well to live there for a little while. He was going to be a construction. A, a natural building. They had a lot of straw bale houses and natural buildings. Um, so he went to be uh, an intern as well. And so, yeah, that's where we met. And we wow. stayed there for about a year and a half. And I learned a lot about gardening uh, during that time. And that was kind of, I yeah, it's just one of those times that you look back and you think that the, that decision really led to my life in a completely different mm-hmm. direction. And gardening has been such a huge part of my life since then, but I had no idea at that time that, you know, sometimes we make these decisions that we don't, we don't know how they're going to affect the rest of our lives. And that's certainly a big one that I made that has lasting effect. Yeah, I would think you'd look on that and feel grateful um, that you listened to that. Like, yeah, yeah, because it be came here. out of a really hard time that yeah. I was pretty unhappy and to and to kind of shake everything up and do something totally different and it really paid off. Which it takes bravery to do that, to listen to that prompting and to be willing to change. Of course, you were unattached and very unhappy, so maybe you thought a little bit like, well, what do I have to lose? It's <laughs> <Yeah>. worse. <laughs> but, That's true. Uh, it's a great story. So right now uh, it's August. And um, gardens are really starting to produce. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the height of food preservation season. Or I guess I might say it's the beginning. Yeah, <laughs> of kind the of the gearing up for food preservation. And you're known for super easy ways to preserve food. So I want to pick your brain a bit here. Sure. What are your top three things to preserve easily, super easily? Super easily. So, so before we talk about that, I think it depends on who you are and what your eating habits are. And so I actually suggest that people start with themselves and their own diets and what you commonly buy at the grocery store. So I kind of talk about in my book, um, asking yourself some questions. What do you buy every week at the grocery store? What do you cook for dinner? What does your family eat? What do you eat for snacks? Um, taking a look at some of your meals and deconstructing them to see are there things that you, you know, maybe you eat um, pasta with sauce mm-hmm. once a week or cook it for your kids. Are there ingredients uh, in some of your most common and favorite dishes that you could potentially preserve? So, for example, in our house, we eat a lot of rice and beans in the winter. It's kind of a quick, easy, healthy uh, meal to cook with lots of leftovers for lunches. And so we we put away, we grow lots of onions and garlic, which we pretty much use in almost everything we cook. But we we do actually can salsa, partly for rice and beans. And then I freeze a lot of peppers and a lot of corn, so two hmm. other ingredients in that dish. And so that's a great way to start. 
Uh, and so kind of based on what comes out of that information when you think about your own life, then I think really there's probably three different vegetables for or, and fruits or whatever for, for every person is probably different. Right. <laughs> um, I eat a smoothie every day for breakfast, and so I focus a lot of energy on going to pick berries and freezing a lot, a lot of berries so that I can have local berries as much as possible throughout the year for my mm-hmm. smoothies. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, I would say that tomatoes, of course, I think is one of the most popular things that a lot of people grow in their gardens. And I don't, so I do can um, salsa, but that's the only thing we can. Uh, So one of the things, when I first learned food, food preserving, most of it was canning. And I realized I didn't really enjoy canning that much. And it's messy and it's hot and it takes a lot of time. And so I started to experiment with easier ways to put food um, away. So a lot of people can tomatoes. But what I do, well, my favorite way is to chop them up. Um, I actually have a stainless steel casserole pan that I fit over two burners on my stove so it's cooking faster. Mm. And then I chop up tomatoes. I mound it in that large stainless steel pan. I put it over the burners and I just cook it down so that I'm cooking a lot of the water off because tomatoes are so watery. Yeah, when you're fr- If you're freezing whole tomatoes, you're really freezing a lot of water, and so mm-hmm. it takes a- up a lot of room. Um, and so you can pack a lot more tomatoes into a container if you cook some of that water off. Um, and you can do it in a stock pot, but I found that, and that's fine, um, I found that that pan kind of speeds the process along because more water can evaporate more quickly right. or cook off more quickly. So... Uh, so then I just kind of get it to whatever consistency I want or however much time I have or patience I have. I just let it simmer on the stove while I go do other things. I let it cool, and then I actually pack the, pack it into old yogurt containers, so those larger yogurt containers. I save them throughout the year, and I actually freeze a lot of stuff in those. Hmm. Uh, and then pack it in the yogurt containers and then put it in my chest freezer and then all winter, or all year, I haven't bought a tomato product in years. So any recipe that calls for chopped canned tomatoes, whole canned tomatoes, any kind of canned tomatoes, I just defrost one of those yogurt containers and throw it in the recipe. Uh, and then I add it to soups. And then you can take it one step further if you want. If, if I decide that I want to have pasta sauce, then I'll put some garlic and onions in a in in a pan and then cook down the sauce, cook down that cooked tomatoes a little bit more into sauce and add spices and anything else. So it's kind of, it's pretty flexible. Instead of making a bunch of sauce that I'm not sure I'm going to use, I just make the tomatoes and then I can turn it into sauce later if I want to totally. or I can use it for something else. Yeah, you are speaking my language. That's how I do it. I'm <laughs> quick and easy. I can dress it up later. <laughs> However I want it to go. Yeah. So what would you, so that was the first one. So do you have a couple more? Sure. And another easy one, I think a lot of people don't know is red peppers. So I like to grow a lot of peppers in my garden. Red peppers are so expensive in the winter. Uh, I wrote a blog post that said, save yourself from $5 red peppers in January because I had gone into Whole Foods and they were having a sale, quote unquote, on red peppers and they were $4 each. (laughs) And I just thought, oh my gosh, how many red peppers did I put away this summer? And I thought, well, I put away at least 50, probably more. I was like, yeah, I I put away like $200 worth of peppers. 
for it, the cost of the pepper seeds, which wasn't even, you know, it was $3 or whatever. Um, and so that's a really great one because all you have to do is take out the seeds. And sometimes with hot peppers, I'll just leave the seeds in. But with sweet peppers, I'll take out the seeds, uh, take core them, take off the, the top, and then just chop them. And you can put them in a container or I often put them in just quart Ziploc freezer bags. Uh, and just throw them in the fri the freezer. You don't have to do any kind of blanching or pre-processing. You can just freeze them raw, cool. which is really great. And I use the, we use them in all kinds of different things all year. Again, a pep peppers are something that I never buy from the grocery store um, because we have we have enough for ourselves until I still have some left. It's just about to be red pepper season here in Wisconsin, and I still have a little bit left from last year. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so that's a great one. And then. Uh, let's see. Uh, so depending on how you feel about kale, uh, which I know some people love kale, it's certainly got a lot more, more popular, but that's another thing that you can actually freeze raw. So I used to steam it. And then one time I did a, a little bit of, of a trade with a friend at the end of the winter, kind of trading things that one of us had more of than the other. And they had given me some kale, um, that I used to not preserve kale and so I had fresh kale and the, from the store and then I had a, his frozen kale put them both together eventually in the recipe and you couldn't tell the difference hmm. between what was has been cooked from fresh and what had been cooked from the preserved kale mm -hmm. uh, so that really convinced me to to preserve kale and I use kale a lot in recipes that call for spinach and so say there's a spinach casserole or even like a spinach lasagna. I don't like to cook spinach because I like to eat it fresh mm -hmm. um, and so I just use kale in all recipes that call for spinach uh, and so you can just um, freeze it raw and so I just take it off the, the stem and either rip it up or chop it up into squarish pieces and then I just shove them really packed tight into usually again quart Ziploc bags because that's usually a good serving. I just keep shoving it in, shoving it in until I can barely close it. Then I just get the air out, Ziploc it shut and then I just throw the bag into my chest freezer. So really, really easy and something that you kind of just do a little bit at a time if you right. feel like you have a lot of kale that you need to harvest, just mm -hmm. harvest it. Um, a couple times throughout the season and, and freeze it for winter use. So that was one thing that we ran out of this past winter, and I'm definitely going to freeze more kale. And, and it's good for smoothies, too. If you like kale in your smoothies, mm -hmm. that would be a great ingredient to well, freeze. These are really, really good tips. You're inspiring me, and I'm sure you're mm -hmm. inspiring others, that it's just so much easier than we might think to preserve food. It is, yeah. And what I, what I feel like is, and I thought this at the end of last season, um, so I use, I freeze, but I also store things in my basement and my fridge as well. And we don't have a root cellar. Um, we don't, we don't do much, anything special in our basement, but we, we store garlic and onions and winter squash and some other things. But at the end of last, probably going into last winter, I said to my husband, we have so much food preserved and I really don't feel like I spent that much time doing it. I was kind of, I was kind of amazed 
because I just did a little bit at a time here and there. I didn't spend any marathon long 12 hour days doing any preserving. Sometimes on a Sunday night, I'd spend 45 minutes or my husband would help me and we'd do it together for a half hour. Just a little bit here and there ended up equaling this chest freezer and basement and fridge full of food. It was pretty amazing. That is amazing. It just really shows that you put in a little and you get a lot. And it's just, it's like chipping away at the big... Yeah, and what I, and it's really what I like to, this is how I try to to convince people to do it, is that the feeling of going down to my chest freezers in my basement, to go down into my basement on a cold January night and pull ingredients from my basement storage and my freezer and bring them all up and make it into a dinner from things that are from my own garden from the summer and the fall is just such an amazing feeling mm-hmm. that you, you just I almost feel like I'm cheating the, <laughs> the whole system it's like it's January but I'm eating food from my own garden this is so amazing and like you said gardening's a lot of work and it can take a lot of time it's a lot of joyful work for sure but I think food preserving is a way to really get the most out of your vegetable garden. Because I do hear from a lot of people that they end up giving away excess produce or or worse, rats in their fridge, and then they throw it in the compost bin. So instead of, of, of doing that and wasting your excess, you can easily put it away so that you're you're kind of giddy in, in January and February when you're you're eating your own produce for, for dinner. Right, because we put in the effort on the garden and you just go a little bit further and you have preserved it. And so it's it's like getting a little bit more out of your effort. I mean, you put in a little bit more and then you reap the reward for all that effort that it took to, to, to plant the garden. Right. And, yeah. And for people that don't have big gardens, I have a I have a fairly big garden. But even so, I try to remind people that you don't have to preserve everything or you don't have to grow, grow everything. everything you preserve. Right. I I like I said, I go strawberry picking and blueberry picking and I went cherry picking this year. I don't have enough room for winter squash. So I just buy butternut squash from the farmer's market. Sometimes I need some extra broccoli, so I'll buy that. I don't grow corn, so I just go to the farmer's market and get organic corn. So I definitely have a mix. I preserve a lot from my own garden, but you can also go to the farmer's market or if you're a CSA member and take some of that excess. Things are, at the height of the season, things are at at their least expensive of the whole year. Everybody's got green beans. They're pretty cheap. Yep, yeah, that's great. Here in Oregon, we, by the time our tomatoes really start producing it's then too cold for them to (laughs) stay alive much longer (laughs) so i've never grown enough tomatoes to preserve so i take advantage of some bigger farms around here that just grow tomatoes and they may even have greenhouses to extend the harvest they not only start them earlier than i can but they can grow them later and so i rely on that and berries like you and i'd also you know, cucumber. Anyway, you just have to, you decide what can I grow myself and what can I outsource? Exactly. Yeah. And it's pretty hard for any of us to grow everything that we would consume, especially if you live in an urban or suburban area, you just don't have that enough space. And a lot of us don't have enough time to maintain a garden that large. So it's, it's, great to go and support some other farmers and go to you pick farms and and supplement your own harvest Mm -hmm. with that of others 
And so just to circle back to the advice you started with at the beginning, that's why it's so helpful to just sit down and consider, like, what does my family eat? What could we benefit from? And then you ask yourself, well, am I growing it or can I grow it? Or is that something I should just seek because somebody else nearby is really doing a great job with that, could do better than I can, has more space or whatnot. But you, you find out what would be beneficial for your family to preserve, and then you decide whether or not you're going to grow it or you're going to get it locally. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, because it's really, it's a waste of time and energy and resources to preserve things that you're not going to eat. And so really the goal is when, and I kind of think about this in June, because June is the strawberry season here, and it's a pretty short season, and so I always go and pick and freeze. That's, for me, the beginning, the very slow beginning of the next food preserving season. So my goal is by the time I go pick strawberries, my freezer and and my pantry, everything's gone. Yeah. And I'm starting over because really things degrade in storage over time. You don't really want to be eating tomatoes from the year seven, seven years ago. Yeah. <laughs> you know, from I, I feel like frozen tomatoes, I still have some from last year and they'll be fine. I'll use them first this year. But some of the things like broccoli and peppers and the they just yeah, they lose nutrients over time and kind of degrade in storage. So and and geez, you certainly don't want to have to start throwing stuff out from your freezer because you did put some work not only into growing it but also preserving it. So right. So it's I think that's for me that's the goal to eat yeah. through everything uh, before the next food preserving season. Yeah. I'm not always 100% successful, but I'm usually pretty good. <laughs> well, I'm speaking to our listeners here, but um, Megan has a book, Super Easy Food Preserving, and it just goes way into more depth on the things we've been talking about. So visit the show notes for a link to that. Knowyourfoodpodcast.com/slash/123. I've gotten a copy of it. I think it's a great book. Um, Megan, let's wrap up with this new challenge that you're hosting soon. Tell us about it. Sure. I Starting on August 23rd, so for at least in Wisconsin, it kind of depends where you live, but September is a huge, huge harvest month, uh, and I do probably the bulk of my food preserving in September. Uh, and so in order to get people really psyched up and, and kind of planning for the food preserving season, I decided to run a free seven-day challenge. So you can, uh, you'll be able to sign up on my website, um, creativevegetablegardener.com forward slash challenge, and you'll get a series of seven emails uh, that's going to walk you through thinking about some of the things that we already talked about and some other things and coming up with a plan for yourself for the season. And we'll talk about some techniques. Uh, and then we'll also, we're going to do it all together. And so we'll be over on the Facebook group kind of chatting and we'll have some fun mini challenges and giveaways and, and it'll be an opportunity to meet some other gardeners and other folks that are are wanting to either start food preserving or really kick it up a notch. You, if you're new and you've always kind of thought about it, that'll be a great way to delve into it a little bit. Or if you do some of it, but you want to become a more serious food preserver, that would be a great way as well. So I'd love to have folks join us and, and get super excited because what what I, one thing I think is a misconception about food preserving is that it's really difficult. Yeah. And I think that comes from people thinking that food preserving is just about canning. Um, and canning, I think, seems scary to some people, and they think it's really difficult, and it scares people off. 
but there's lots and lots of other ways to preserve food besides canning, and most of them I feel like are much easier than canning. Um, and, and if you're a, a devoted canner, then you can do some canning and some freezing and some fresh storage and, and kind of combine techniques. It's exciting. So what I'm taking out of this is that you've got options for everybody. You're showing everybody how easy it is. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be a whole community of people around it to cheer each other on, to go through the content together, and to just tackle the month of September and come away with a chest freezer full of preserved foods that will last you through the winter that you will really eat. Yeah, to use <laughs> and delicious meals all year round. Yes. That's the fun part. You can. I mean, when I put away something last Sunday night, I I my my basil plants were booming, and I thought I really need to make pesto. I don't really feel like it. I'm tired, but I made a quick batch of pesto. It didn't take that long. But what I thought about when I had the jars in my hand was what what I was going to do with that pesto. And yeah. I thought, well, maybe I'll bring it on our annual ski trip and with our friends and we'll make like a pasta dish or we'll probably use it on pizza some night when we have some other friends over. And so that's part of the fun too is, is, is imagining what you're going to do with all these delicious ingredients the rest of the year. Great. Well, thank you so much, Megan, for coming on today talking about gardening and preserving and really sharing your excitement because I think everybody here is going to be feeling like it's easy, doable, exciting, well worth it, and already looking forward to cold January and pulling some fresh food out of the freezer. It's wonderful. Thank you there so you much. There you go. You're welcome. So everybody, be sure to visit the show notes, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 123 for episode 123, and you'll find links to Megan's challenge as well as her book and her site. Thanks, Megan. Thanks for having me. Go, go food preserving, everybody. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope to see you again very soon. Let me tell you what you can do next. You can visit the show notes for this episode. Just go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash, and then without a space, type the number of this episode. You'll get links and much more information about what we've been talking about. You can submit questions for future episodes. I love to answer your questions on the air, so go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash questions to submit them. You can stop by traditionalcookingschool.com to get five free traditional cooking videos from me. And finally, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, the podcast app, or Stitcher. If you're on a mobile device, just search for Know Your Food with Wardy while you're in the app. If you're on a desktop or laptop, go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash iTunes right in your browser. And while you're there, please leave a rating or review. I love to read your comments and your feedback makes it much more likely that other people will find this podcast. Thank you so much. <laughs>